This is Gulf Coast Life from WGCU. I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. More than 3.67 million Floridians voted in Tuesday's primary election, either through early voting, voting by mail, or on Election Day. That's just under 26 percent of all registered voters in the state. Voter participation was about 2 percent lower than in Florida's 2020 primary election in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Republicans led Democrats in early voting numbers, while Democrats saw more voting by mail. In the most closely watched race of Tuesday's primary, U.S. Representative Charlie Crist defeated Florida Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed for the Democratic nomination to challenge Republican Governor Ron DeSantis in the general election. U.S. Representative Val Demings also won her Democratic primary to challenge incumbent U.S. Senator Marco Rubio in November. Former State Attorney Aramis Ayala won her Democratic primary to challenge incumbent Republican Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody. And Republican Florida Senate President Wilton Simpson and Democrat Naomi Blubber won their respective primaries to replace Freed as Florida's Commissioner of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Local school board races, which are nonpartisan and typically lower key, attracted more attention and funding than usual, due in part to Governor DeSantis's unprecedented levels of campaigning. 25 of the 30 school board candidates DeSantis endorsed across the state either won their primaries or advanced to the general election. Today, we're joined by uh, Dr. Peter Bergerson with a Florida Gulf Coast University political scientist. And uh, we had intended to have a few more political scientists join us as well, but we're having uh, technical difficulties with the internet and the phone throughout the FGCU campus. If we're able to bring those voices on later in the program, we'll do that. But for now, Dr. Bergerson, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. Well, it's great to be here, John, uh, again. And uh, thank you very much. And to engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. On Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. So, Dr. Bergerson, I wanted to start by looking at voter participation. Uh, as I mentioned, more than 3.67 million Floridians voted on Tuesday, representing about 25.6% of registered voters in the state. Um, and that's actually down from a voter participation rate of 28% in the 2020 primary. Um, and was that a little bit of a surprise, given that, you know, in 2020, we were still in the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic, a vaccine was still kind of way off into the future. Uh, on the other hand, could the new restrictions adopted by the state legislature in 2021 when it comes to early voting and voting by mail have perhaps played a role in that slight dip in voter turnout? I think that could uh, very well be the case, John. Uh, the the uh, I think also another factor may have been was the lack of competition uh, on at least on the Republican side. In other words, one of the things that brings out the voters is where there's uh, multiple candidates within one party, and uh, the, the Republicans uh, in the uh, uh, for governor or Senate there was no uh, name candidates opposing either uh, the governor or the Republican senator. And so I think that had a factor in it as well. Uh, the the off-year elections like we're in, in now uh, are generally in the uh, mid-20s for voter turnout. And so, um, and then beyond the, the two Democratic uh, races, the governor and Senate, 
nominations, uh, there wasn't any much competition as well. And so uh, the, the 2% drop-off, uh, I think, partially related to um, the, the uh, lack of comp- political competition that we've seen. Yeah, and going back at least a couple decades, um, that's, that's, that's a pretty comparable voter participation yeah. rate for a primary, yeah. particularly a midterm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I also I can't help but think that the national mood uh, uh, about uh, politics and elections and uh, in general uh, t- tends to be negative today, uh, particularly at the nas- more so at the national level. Is that the, and, and that is a discouraging factor of uh, of some sense. And going back to those new uh, restrictions on early voting and voting by mail that the state legislature adopted in 2021, uh, we noted that in Tuesday's election, registered Republicans led Democrats in early voting numbers, but Democrats saw more voting by mail. So I'm wondering if whatever the intention of that these new restrictions are, if they are having any advantage for one party or another. Not particularly, no. Um, the the uh, I, I think that uh, you know it's basically a wash. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll we'll perhaps see uh, a better picture with the uh, November eighth election uh, and voting by mail and in person. Uh, that will that that'll give us a better idea of the impact of the uh, legislative and governor's attempt at. Um, well, as he said, uh, address uh, questions of fraud that didn't, frankly didn't exist. Yeah. Well, let, let's look at perhaps the most watched contest from Tuesday's primary where we saw uh, Congressman Charlie Crist defeat Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed for the Democratic gubernatorial um, election. There was one poll that I read close to Election Day that actually had Freed leading Chris just slightly, but most of the previous polling in that race showed Chris with a significant lead over Freed. So it didn't seem to me like there was much of a surprise there. No. Uh, the, the only surprise was the, the the huge difference, at least for me, at the end, uh, more than 20 points. Um, I, I kind of thought it might be more competitive than mm-hmm. that. Uh, in in gauging or looking at polls, uh, I my suggestion, or what at least I tell my students. In fact, I told them today in my class. I said, "Don't look at one poll. Uh, the, it, 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 you have to track or follow polls, and you have to follow follow those that are uh, considered quote unquote legitimate polls." Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe the one that you were referencing it was obviously an outlander, and so. Uh, but I I did think that um, uh, uh, agriculture commissioner uh, Nikki Freed she she had uh, really a much more of an ideological base and message uh, and I think that in return uh, in, uh, addressing the congressman uh, Christ he was a kind of a mainstream uh, a Democrat like. Or, former Republican, independent Democrat. And I think that stood out also in, in the differences that uh, maybe reflecting the mood of those who voted. In other words, that uh, they did not 
they really dispelled the ideological candidate for the more uh, moderate uh, and Charlie Crist. Yeah. Um, on that point, do you think Democratic voters, the typical voter, if there is such a thing, when they go to a primary like this, are they voting for their preferred candidate or are they considering who's most likely to defeat the incumbent in a general election when they cast their ballots? You know, that's a great question. Uh, and I think that there are both, uh, both suggestions that you've made. Uh, provide an answer for those who are voting. In other words, uh, 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 a significant number of voters are going to be voting for name recognition, first of all. Charlie Crist had more name recognition. He also uh, was much more of a campaigner. Uh, I think it had much more visible uh, in the state uh, as a former governor. This is been at least the, his third go around on statewide office. Uh, so I, I I think in the case of Nikki Freed's uh, electorate, I think that she really attracted those who were issue or perhaps more issue oriented, those who uh, voted for uh, Representative Christ. They perhaps saw him as a, a better chance of uh, defeating uh, uh, Governor DeSantis. In the next few months, are you anticipating some, some pretty lively competition between the Christ and the DeSantis camps? I, I sure am. And uh, I would advise uh, people to check their uh, uh, health insurance policies, be <laughs> sure to wear a seatbelt, because uh, it's going to be a rough and tumble campaign. I, I, I really do. I think that uh, the position of, I think, uh, of the, the goal or objective of uh, Governor DeSantis is to uh, really uh, lay down a, a, a national marker that he's really, uh, if not one or two, uh, surely in the top three contenders for the Republican nomination. Uh, I think he he wants to make national news out of the election. He clearly has been campaigning uh, in a number of states already. Well, uh, maybe campaigning is not the right word, but, but raising least, money, yeah, yeah, raising money, giving speeches. Uh, you know the the uh, you know the, he's he's clearly on everyone's list, uh, and he has a ton of money, and so. Uh, and I, I think uh, – so his focus is, uh, see, I can win and I can beat uh, a well-known uh, Democratic candidate. Uh, that, that, I think, is, is, is overwhelming his strategy. And subsequently, I think uh, the first two years in his office, uh, he's emphasized these cultural issues. Uh, and I see these uh, continuing um, – he, he may moderate a little bit, but I think, he, or if not moderate, at least change the topic. I suspect that he's going to uh, maybe emphasize some more issues that attract uh, the independent voter, the nonpartisan voter, and those would be uh, his efforts at dealing with the environment mm -hmm. and maybe his efforts at increasing funding for education. Mm -hmm. I see those as two issues that will move away from being woke, uh, moving away from removing people from office that he doesn't like. 
uh, or at least don't have the hold the same uh, uh, political interests that he has. So I I I do see. Uh, but yes, the direct to your answer is it's going to be, uh, and it, it's going to the, the airwaves are really going to be full of uh, uh, advertisement and. Uh, uh, accusations and allegations. All right. Well, well, let's turn to the um, Florida's U.S. Senate seat here. Uh, Val Demings um, handily won her Democratic primary. I don't think that there was really any any consideration that she wasn't going to. No, that um, was pretty much a foregone conclusion. But, you know, Rubio's campaign fundraising has not kept pace with Demings. In fact, he made an appeal for donations directly to Fox News viewers on Tuesday, acknowledging this. When it comes to the balance of power in the U.S. Senate, is this a race political strategists are considering closely as a seat that could flip? I would put it in, in um, maybe not in the top five, but I would put it in uh, perhaps the top ten. I would have to see how things were, will unfold in, in that particular race. Uh, I, I think that the lack of funding is an indication that uh, – one, that there's perhaps a lack of enthusiasm on the part of the candidate. In other words, uh, it's the candidate uh, himself or herself who has to raise the money for their campaign. Uh, and if he if he's lacking in that raising the money, it's an indication of his lack of actively being out there raising money. It's also an indication that the national political party and the national, uh, the Senate campaign committee uh, hasn't uh, spoken up, and uh, Florida's uh, other senator, Senator Scott, is in charge of uh, fundraising uh, for the uh, Senate Republican senatorial candidate. So that, to me, is is a real uh, odd uh, uh, arrangement. Uh, so yeah, uh, and and also, I guess I would add that. Uh, Senator Rubio's record in the last six years has really been, frankly, pretty sparse. Uh, I mean, uh, the number one issue he promoted was uh, uh, almost uh, get a, a year-long daylight savings time. Uh, beyond that, I mean, it, it's hard to really point to something that he has really been an out-front advocate for. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, how would you characterize how primary races went overall when it comes to state house and senate seats, as well as Florida's congressional races? There was a little bit of musical chairs, as you know, some elected officials are are seeking seats in different districts than they were before because the boundaries have shifted a little. But by and large, it kind of looks like incumbents are pretty well positioned to hold on to their seats, and we're not going to see much change in terms of GOP dominance in the state house and senate. Uh, absolutely, uh, that that's a keen observation uh, of the. My, my guess is, of the twenty-eight uh, members of the Florida uh, U.S. House of Representatives, uh, at least uh, fifteen, pro- probably eighteen of those uh, twenty-eight will be Republicans, and it really goes back to uh, the redistricting map that was uh, advocated by the governor and and. Uh, pushed through the House and the Senate in the, in the special session. Uh, redistricting is where the, uh, the political parties get to choose their voters. 
uh, as opposed to voters getting to choose their candidates. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's, I think, one of the reasons why you'll see the dominance. But, yeah, overall, that uh, was really a status quo. Uh, the, in, in my estimation, there's one, maybe two, of the 28 congressional seats that are going to be competitive this fall. All right. Well, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the down-ballot races, which we don't usually do in these conversations. Yeah. But, um, I mean, Governor DeSantis has taken an unprecedented levels of, of campaigning in school board races, and it seems to have worked. 25 of the 30 school board candidates he endorsed for school district seats across the state either won their primary or are advancing to the general election. What's your take on, on what's going on with school board races? Have we seen anything like this before in your knowledge of Florida political history? No. Uh, that's the short answer, uh, at, at least uh, or at least as publicly uh, and as overtly, uh, you know, uh, to say school board races are nonpartisan, nonpartisan does not mean no politics. Right. Uh, it, 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 it may have a connotation for some people of no politics. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the, the, I, I think this is, again, uh, an extension of, of the governor's uh, importance and significance of looking down the future uh, and ha- having his base. Uh, what may happen, uh, he's looking perhaps two years from now of, of the presidential nomination or uh, four years from now when if he stays on and is elected for another four-year term and he serves that term out, uh, what might present itself politically at that time. In other words, he's solidifying his base uh, within the at the county level uh, and he, t- in turn, uh, looks like he's going to be able to influence and perhaps want to influence additional races such as the county commissioners. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if you feel like the DeSantis campaign might be in a little bit of a rock and a hard place in terms of strategy. Because when you consider his very slight margin of victory when he did win, run for governor, you know, that underscores how – you know, this governor's race, it's not going to be determined by the far right and the left. It's going to be those people in the middle. Yeah, right. And, and when you're also looking at a potential 24, 20, 2024 presidential bid, you might think the best thing to do would be to lean into that ultra-conservative base. But maybe that's not the best strategy for staying in the governor's mansion. Yeah, I, uh, we'll, I guess we'll, 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 we'll see. But my, my thought, again, was that by endorsing and working at the county level, he is building his base for in turn turnout uh, in for the uh, a general election to run up uh, a, a victory uh, against Charlie Crist uh, that really uh, shows that he's you know uh, the the, uh, the the most important person in Florida. Uh, and well, uh, because other Republicans nationwide will be looking at him, uh, donors will be looking at him. Uh, I think everyone is waiting to see what ha- might happen with former President uh, Trump. If former President Trump doesn't run, why this opens the door uh, wide open, 
he wants to be right there to be the first to uh, enter into the national arena. And one of the ways of doing that is showing this strong political strength and having those candidates he endorsed at the county level to be advocates for voter turnout in November 8th. Gotcha. Well, we are quickly about running out of time, Dr. Bergerson, but I wanted to um, ask you about a, a Central Florida race that you had mentioned of note. Yeah, very interesting in the Orlando area. Uh, I want to encourage uh, my students as well as uh, all uh, individuals, um, you know, the requirements to be a member of the House of Representatives are the age requirement is to be 25. And there's a fellow who took this uh, to heart, uh, Max or Maxwell uh, Frost, and he has won the Democratic nomination in Orlando for the uh, seat in the House of Representatives. And this is a, a district that is heavily Democratic. Mm-hmm. And so it looks like uh, Florida is going to be sending one of the youngest, if, uh, he'll, he'll be the youngest F- Florida ever to be a member of the U.S. House, and he'll be one of the youngest in the U- U.S. House, most likely be one of the U.S. youngest U.S. Um, House of Representative members in January. Wonderful. Well, that's definitely... So keep your eye on uh, Maxwell Frost. He is uh, up and coming. Sure will. Yeah. And thank you. I had missed that one. (laughs) Well, we are about out of time, but thank you so much. We have been speaking with Dr. Peter Bergerson, a political scientist and political science professor here at Florida Gulf Coast University. Always great to share some studio space with you and hear your insights. Thank you. Well, John, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure as always. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or you can subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by Jared Gonzalez and yours truly. Our director is Richard Chinqui. Our social media coordinator is Tara Callaghan. For now, thanks for listening. I'm John Davis. This is WGCU-FM Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.7 91.